0: On August 28th, uh, 1963, some 250,000 people uh, made their way to Washington, D.C. and traveled to the National Mall for the March on Washington. In all accounts, uh, record the immensity of this event, uh, the greatest gathering of people in United States history up until this point, the most people in one place uh, up until this point. It was, a, it was a beautiful day, one man explains, not a cloud in the sky, and as far as the eye could see, there were just people. Another woman uh, has this to say, the, the streets were so full uh, that making your way through them felt like making your way through a glacier, and there were all kinds of people who attended, rich and poor, rural and urban, even, even mothers and their children. It wasn't, a, it wasn't simply the number of people uh, that made this event so exciting. It was the spirit with which these people gathered. I mean, change was in the air. And some people say that you could, you could even taste it. It started slow, a boycott here, a sit-in there, the, the conviction uh, that all people have dignity and worth. But also the conviction that when change is needed, when change is called for, uh, you don't find that change through power and might. You find it through sacrifice and service and humility. Things like peaceful protest and and gathering together. The kind of things uh, that these people uh, said that they were learning in their churches. And, and, and the watershed moment happened just 79 days earlier. The president took to the radio and he addressed the nation. He called for landmark legislation, a civil rights bill uh, that would give all Americans the right to eat in public restaurants, the right to, to sit on public buses, the right to receive a public education. And a decade earlier, no one thought that this was coming. But like I said, uh, change was in the air. And it felt almost unstoppable, and, and that's why on August 28th, 1963, thousands of Americans packed their bags and headed for Washington, and as they did, there was this sense of hope and, and maybe even excitement because maybe, just maybe, things would be different. And when I... Uh, when I picture the Palm Sunday procession, and when I try to imagine uh, what it was like, I tend to picture uh, scenes from the 1963 March on Washington. You know, the reason why is that they're just a a crazy number of parallels uh, between these two events and, and the reason that these people are gathered. See, it's, a, it's the week before Passover, and just like that hot August day, some 59 years ago, uh, all sorts of people have gathered for a really important event in their nation's capital. You know, estimates are just that, estimates. Uh, many scholars believe that as many as 250,000 people would have gathered in the city of Jerusalem when Jesus enters that city just before Passover, the same number of people uh, that were present for the March on Washington. It was impressive In 1963, it would have been even more impressive in the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years earlier because, because far fewer people were living in the city of Jerusalem. And so when 250,000 people show up in the city of Jerusalem, when it more than quadruples in size, there's a lot of people there. If you're one of uh, one of the pilgrims uh, who would have traveled there, no matter where you go, the scene around the city probably looks like that scene on the National Mall. I mean, there are people everywhere, rich and poor, rural and urban, even, even mothers and their children. You know, the parallels, uh, they don't stop there. This is also what fascinates me because there's also this spirit in the air as, uh, as people gather because they, they really do believe uh, that something, something incredible could be possible. In 1963, the, the Civil Rights Movement fuels this sense of excitement, but 2,000 years earlier, uh, that something else was completely different, that something else was Passover. See, it's it's the week before Passover, and Passover isn't just uh, another event uh, to get together with family and friends. Now, Passover isn't just uh, another event uh, to worship God. Passover, Passover is spiritual, but in the hearts and minds of the people gathered in the city of Jerusalem, it also has these oddly political connotations. You see, 1,400 years earlier, God's people were slaves in Egypt. They were in bondage and slavery, but God did something about it. God acted. God called a man named Moses. He sent plagues, and he he brought the people out. And Now, 1,400 years later, God's people, God's people who live in the city of Jerusalem and God's people who live all around the ancient world, God's people we have an occupied territory. God's people are ruled by a foreign oppressor. And so as the people gather in Jerusalem that day, some 2,000 years ago, like they've done every year for the previous 1,400 years, they're gathered to celebrate this event where they remember that God rescues his people. You see, that's when they see Jesus get on this donkey. That's when they see Jesus descend the Mount of Olives, and you know it's a it's a slow. Per- Jesus heading their way. But as he he makes his way towards the city, they begin to take off their coats. They begin to lay them on the ground. And then they pick up palm branches. They begin to wave them in the air. Hosanna, they shout. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's this sense of hope and excitement, even wonder. And it's all fueled by Passover. You see, Jesus... He ignites this belief in this crowd of people that something is actually going to happen. See, that's when you you move forward five days. And that belief, it it begins to fade away. And it's not the only thing that begins to fade away. You see, Jesus is... Jesus is tried, and the people who would have gathered there in that crowd, people who would have gathered all around the city, that's when they shout, crucify, crucify him. And then he's hung on a cross, and his body just hangs there. What I want you to notice is that. All these wonderful things are racing through the minds of those people, that Palm Sunday procession. But when it seems like all of those wonderful things are beginning to fade away, the praise of the people in this crowd, it also begins to fade with them. And as I've said a a time or two over the years, as I made my way through college and seminary, I, I held an eclectic set of jobs. Uh, for a number of summers, I, I worked in the uh, children's department of the public library in the town where I grew up. Uh, one summer, I was, uh, I was a preschool aide in a daycare classroom, and I've got great stories from that summer. Well, my favorite job has gotta be uh, the summer uh, that I worked as a homemade for a young man with muscular dystrophy. His name was Mike. Uh, He was the second of five children, Uh, and he was in his early 20s at the time, just a couple of years younger than I was, and he was living at home, uh, and his mom, Sandy, uh, was his primary caregiver, and and if I'm really honest about that summer, I was as much her aid as I was his. Over the course of uh, that summer, I got to know both of them pretty well. I got to know Sandy pretty well, and I I learned that uh, she and her husband were just a couple of years older than I was when they started having kids. You can just uh, imagine the kind of things that they would have uh, prayed for as uh, they were getting ready uh, to add to their family, you know, safe and successful uh, deliveries. You know, new kids coming into the house, what that would be like. That's why they were so excited uh, when they found out that Mike was uh, going to be added to their family. That's why they were so excited when he was born. And and then they they met him at the hospital, this beautiful baby boy. He had 10 fingers. He had 10 toes. And, and for that and so many other reasons, uh, Sandy and her husband, they gave thanks to God. They praised him along the way. And uh, it happened when Mike was uh, just about to enter the sixth grade. You see, he started having trouble walking. And it was... Uh, was subtle at first but sandy she did what any concerned parent would do she took her son to the see a doctor and the doctor drew some blood and they ran some tests and and eventually uh they they delivered the diagnosis mike mike has muscular dystrophy so the doctor said and they said uh, over time uh, his muscles are going to get weaker and weaker. At first he's going to need crutches. Uh, eventually he's going to need a wheelchair and you know there's all sorts of things that we can do. But then they said muscular dystrophy is is a lifelong terminal condition. See, Sandy taught me uh, that it is easy to praise God when the wonderful things happen. It's easy to praise God when you bring your, your beautiful baby home from the hospital. But you see, when uh, when those things, those wonderful things begin to fade away, it's it's really easy for our praise to fade with them. I remember Sandy, uh, who's got to be one of the strongest Christians I know, I remember how she would talk about that. She talked about how it was uh, easy to praise God when Mike was born. And I remember uh, one morning, we're, We're getting Mike ready for the day. And and she says to me, but Steve, I had no idea what was going to happen. You know, it's not that she didn't love her son. It's not that she didn't love her Lord. It's just that sometimes, sometimes it is really, really hard to praise God. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you know what it's like to praise God Uh, when you win a big game or, you know, get the big promotion, bring a child home from the hospital, what it's like when you when you ask your wife to marry you, or what it's like when, when she says yes. we see, uh, when those wonderful things begin to fade away, it really is easy for our praise to fade with them. And that's, what's, uh, that's what's happening here on Palm Sunday. I mean, these crowds, they welcome Jesus uh, to Jerusalem, but then their f- praise fades away. And sometimes, sometimes our praise fades too. But what we remember today is that uh, that when when these wonderful things fade away, when our praise fades away, this is why Jesus enters Jerusalem. See, Jesus enters Jerusalem because sometimes it is hard to follow him. Jesus enters Jerusalem because sometimes. We don't want to follow him. Jesus enters Jerusalem because sometimes, sometimes we openly work against what he's doing. And yet Jesus remains committed to us. He gets on the back of that donkey. He, he rides down the Mount of Olives. He heads into Jerusalem. And he heads into Jerusalem for people like you and me whose praise sometimes fades away. You know, a week from now, uh, we're gonna get together, we're gonna gather in this sanctuary and we're gonna celebrate the fact that Jesus not only dies for people like us, but he also rises again, that he's got the power and the strength to do what he says. Right now, we find ourselves on the other end of that story. Find ourselves at the beginning of that story and, and what we notice is this. When all the wonderful things in this world fade away, there's always one thing left. And that thing is Jesus. And I was uh, shortly after the March on Washington, uh, the tragedy struck the Civil Rights Movement. You see, the, the people uh, had visited Washington, D.C., they'd packed their bags, they'd headed home, uh, but then 18 days later, now, there was a bombing at a church in Birmingham, Alabama. Bombing at a church in Birmingham, Alabama on a Sunday morning, and four little girls died. And it was, it was a sad and, and dark day following everything that happened. And just when you would begin to think that all these people would begin to fade away, it's when you find Martin Luther King standing before a morning crowd of onlookers about 3300 people. And this is what he says to them. He says uh, in spite of the darkness of this hour we must not despair. We must not become bitter. Yeah, you know, they're praiseworthy words, uh, hope in the midst of darkness. Uh, but I got to imagine that people uh, sitting in that crowd that day must have been wondering how how can we have hope? In the midst of such darkness, that's when he goes on to say, uh, life is hard. It has its deep and painful moments, but through it all, God walks with us. Jesus walks with us. You see, it's, it's easy uh, to praise God when the wonderful things happen. But what we remember today, what we celebrate today, and especially as we head into Holy Week, We celebrate that when all those wonderful things begin to fade away, there is always one thing left. And that thing is Jesus, amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, amen.